0: Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? (laughs) 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 Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? (sighs) I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit that part of you that is what must be reborn to new life how can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things I'm trying Rabbi I know I know do you hear this? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is, to be born again of the spirit. The spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles. Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents. And they were dying. But but God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin god did not send his son into the world to condemn it nicodemus he sent him to save it through him it's as simple as moses's serpent on the pole whoever believes in him will not be condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already have you ever heard anything like this before Shh. when i met lilith mary that day I told my wife and my students she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. The healer. two days time we leave Capernaum come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world but I I I, can't you have a position in the Sanhedrin you have family you are getting advanced in years (laughs) I understand but the invitation is still open the invitation to what exactly lead a nomadic life to to give up who I am. It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? (laughs) Maybe
1: The scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. There's not a person on planet earth, no matter your philosophy, ideology, theology, it matters not, there's not a person on planet earth that's not somehow drawn into this sentence because of this word, life. Every human on planet Earth longs for, hungers for this thing called life. In fact, I will tell you that the things that we actually do with our lives, the way we behave, is what we truly believe will bring us life in this Earth. And the radical claim of Jesus is that he actually came that you and I might have life. And even more radical is that the promise of life is tied to, intrinsically connected with, Conditioned upon being what? Born again. That scene taken from an episode of a new film series called The Chosen. It's actually taken almost directly from the third chapter of the Gospel of John. So what I want you to do, everyone, North Campus, South Campus, online, find you a Bible, if you don't mind, and turn to the third chapter of John. If you don't have a Bible, underneath your chair or the chair in front of you is a black-colored Bible. You can get one of those. We're on page 887. If you happen to be uh, uh, at our Uh, Online family, once you know if you're on our online campus, there's a button you can push back there. Uh, You can push there on the screen. It'll take you to the Bible, or you can just push pause, go get your Bible, come back. I want everyone to look at that, know what's going on there, because this week, I want you to read through John chapter 3 several times. It is one of the most important scriptures in the entirety of the Bible. And if you haven't done so, I implore you to watch The Chosen. Uh, which you can do for free at Um, thechosen.tv. Thechosen.tv. Season one has eight episodes. We're at episode seven in our journey. Some of you are saying, I'm way behind. Binge watch. Go after it. It's good for the soul and stuff like that. And while you're getting all that ready, the guys are going to help me and they're going to turn my TV on in the back, okay? John chapter three, verse one. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now let's be honest. Why did they meet at night? I mean, come on, that doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? This clandestine secret meeting seems to be um, extreme. It's difficult for us to grasp. I mean, come on, the two got together, and what they talk about? Religion. We can't imagine why in the world they would need to talk about it at night because we have grown up. We have been immersed in a culture that has as its very foundation this thing called religious freedom. Listen to me. Religious freedom is a relatively new concept in human history. In fact, it's still very rare today. Last week, I was part of several ministry events with a church where I'm blessed to serve as an elder advisor in South Carolina. I do for them what Toby Slough, who preached here last week, does for Beltway Park. By the way, last week was phenomenal from Pastor Toby. I'm telling you, if you somehow missed it, you need to go online, grab that message. It is a must-listen Well, anyway, between three different ministry events, my wife and I were able to steal away one day of vacation, and we went from Columbia, South Carolina, the capital, to Charleston, South Carolina, one of the oldest cities in the United States of America. I would highly, highly recommend, if you have an opportunity at some point, you need to visit Charleston, South Carolina. I would also highly, highly recommend to you that you not do it in August, because it is like Texas heat. But 95% humidity. I did not know this fat body could sweat as much as it did in a 24 hours. I'm telling you, it was bad. But anyway, Charleston was founded in 1670. Almost a little over 100 years from the American Revolution. And it was founded where it was primarily, the attraction was it could become a shipping point. The ne- negative was the rest of the area was pretty much a swamp. And people throughout human history have not really wanted to live in a swamp. So those trying to create this city had an issue. They had to incentivize people to come to Charleston to build a city. You know how they incentivized them? Religious freedom. In that time in human history, only a few hundred years ago, there was no nation on planet Earth where you had religious freedom. There were very few little regions that had it. And so to get people to move there, they said, you can have utter religious freedom. And it absolutely worked. Christians from all sorts of different denominations who wanted to worship a certain way, think a certain way, interpret the Bible a certain way, move there. But other religious groups, the leading among them would be the Jewish people, move there as well. So that Charleston actually became the first city in what would become the United States of America to be called a city of churches. Our founding fathers actually grabbed hold of this idea. Listen to me. America was not founded as a Christian nation. I know somebody's going to be tempted to send me an email. You're going to send me quotes from our founding fathers and things like that. Just hold on for a second. If we had been founded a Christian nation, then like all of the nations of Europe at the time, when you became a citizen of the United States of America, you would automatically be a Christian. Our founding fathers didn't do that. See, our founding fathers looked at the scripture and they saw something about the God revealed in the scripture, that the God revealed in the scripture didn't force people to be their followers. They didn't automatically make them a follower by being born. They had to make a decision to follow him. So it's interesting, our founding fathers, who were, by the way, very influenced by the Christian faith, very much brought Judeo-Christian values, actually because of their Christianity did not make us a Christian nation. They gave us the right to choose. They gave us religious freedom and the freedom of worship because that's what they saw God does. I mean, don't miss this. God has given each and every one of us, you and I, the ultimate power. He is one who is without limit of power, spoke the intricacies of creation into existence. Just a word. He thought it, he spoke it, and it was. He is the God who was, who is, and will be. He is without beginning, without end, the Alpha and the Omega. Yet, you and I have the power to say yes to him or to say no to him. He has given us that gift. That ability, that power, that choice. Now, those choices have consequences, no doubt, but we still have that choice nonetheless. God doesn't make anyone his follower. He doesn't compel them by power and by force to become his followers. And our nation's forefathers actually saw this. They were so Christian that they were the first nation in the Western world to actually have religious freedom and freedom of worship as a foundation of our nation. Nicodemus did not have that gift. In first century Israel, a Jew was Jewish. You were born into the Jewish faith. You were circumcised on the eighth day. And you became a part of the synagogue. And to rebel against what the religious leaders of that day held to. To rebel against their words was to be removed from the synagogue. To be not part of the synagogue meant that you could not live in a Jewish village. You could not do business with Jewish people. To not be part of the synagogue was basically to lose every facet of the life as you know it. Later on in the Gospel of John, we are told that many, even among the leaders, believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith. For what? Fear they would be put out of the synagogue. And we look at that and we scoff. Just go to another one, we think. Because we think like Americans today. Don't like this church, I'll go to another one. Don't like this, I'll choose this. They couldn't do that. And then there was this assessment. For they love praise from men more than they love praise from God. Just, Just a little side note. In a social media world made up of friends, followers, and likes. John 12, 43 is a pretty sobering verse, is it not? End of the side note. Being put out of the synagogue would be massive. For Nicodemus, it would be even more costly. Nicodemus had obtained, through study and religious dedication, a position. A position of prominence, a position of power, a position of prestige, a position of prosperity in life because he became part of one of the two ruling parties of Israel at the time. He was basically part of their Congress. For Nicodemus to meet with Jesus, even in a secret place like this, was to risk absolutely everything. Do not minimize this scene, but also don't miss it. With all that he was risking, Nicodemus still risked it. Why? Because apparently prestige and prosperity, power and positions do not satisfy the longings of the human soul. Come on, we know this, do we not? America has been proving this over and over and over again. Nicodemus hungered for more Nicodemus has spent his life living religion Rule after rule Seeking to find the life of God Yet he had not found it He hungered for life And when he hungered for life Jesus said to him Truly, truly I say to you Unless one is what? Born again He cannot enter into the kingdom of God Now sadly this phrase born again Has been conscripted into the political realm Like so many things today Please listen to me. When Jesus said these words, he was not thinking of a block of voters in 21st century democracies. Now, I'm not telling you your faith shouldn't impact the way you vote. It absolutely should, but Jesus was not talking about this in any way. Jesus was talking to a man about the life that we all long to have. And notice that life he promises is tied to what? It is tied to the kingdom of God. Of God the promises associated with the kingdom of God are staggering for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking it's not a matter of externals do's and don'ts it's not about rules and regulations the kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit come on there's not one of us among us right now that are listening in that doesn't want peace that transcends understanding joy that is beyond the circumstances it is found In the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it is a matter of power. Every one of us, online, north campus, south campus, every one of us longs to have the ability to live the way we were designed to live to live according to our design, to live out our purpose. We want that kind of power. That power exists, and it is found where? In the kingdom of God. You see, the scripture makes promises after promises, promises that cry to the deep parts of our soul, promises for life. I can prove it to you. How many of us, you got to play with me here, participate. You ready? Online, north, Everyone. How many of us want to have rest, a sense of overall rest in the midst of the chaos of life? Put your hands up right now. Every one of us except people just not going to raise your hands in church. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Do not the words weary and burdened seem to describe the American psyche right now? Come to me and I will give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden in the light. Come on, how many of us want to have, no matter the situation, an overall sense of happiness in life? Put your hands up right now. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know what this word blessed means in the original language? It is a deep abiding happiness that is not contingent upon the situations we live in in life. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek for they will inherit the earth. And Jesus goes on and on. And I could keep going with promise after promise after promise that we are made. Promises that tell us God has desires for us. Not just things he demands of us, but promises he desires for us. See, so many of us, have this idea that God is out to get us. That somehow God is out to take from us. And nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, you look down in verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 16 of chapter 3. And it says, for God so, um, was so angry at the world that he demanded that we jump through a lot of hoops. God was so disgusted with the world that he said we had to live rule after rule after rule to make up for it. God was so ticked off at humanity that he wanted to have nothing to do with it. God believed that you so messed up what he gave you that he's going to just keep taking from you, keep robbing from you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. If the cross of Jesus occurred, the resurrection happened, the crux of deciding whether you have faith in Jesus or not is the cross and the resurrection, then it shouts this reality. God is radically for us. Don't miss that. Let that sink in. It is the foundation of abundant life. God is radically for you and I. Jesus restated this idea in the 10th chapter of John when he said there's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Isn't it interesting that a lot of people's conception of God is that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Almost like there's an enemy who's a deceiver who takes what he is and applies it to God. No, there's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, Jesus implores you and I. He calls to you and I. Be satisfied with nothing short of abundant life that is only found in the kingdom of God. And to be part of the kingdom, you don't just change your behavior a little bit. I have people all the time, They'll find in the community, they'll find out what I do, and they'll say, yeah, pastor, I need to go back to church. I'll go, why? And they don't know how to answer that when a pastor says that. I said, what are you trying to get? I want to be right with God. I don't come to church, it won't get you right with God. What do I need to do? I don't know, you think I need to quit cussing. Well, that'd probably be a good thing, but it won't make you right with God. Well, I need to stop chewing. Well, no, yeah, probably be good for your health. It won't make you right with God. See, we think of all these little external things to do. I just need to modify my behavior a little bit. I need to stop doing a few things, and I need to add a few things in life, and that's going to make me right with God. Hear me. If enough external do's and don'ts can make you right with God, Nicodemus would have the abundance of abundance. When it came to rule keeping, Nicodemus was varsity level, and the rest of us are playing like peewee ball. You don't understand ancient Judaism because of the rebellion against the laws of God. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament. There was a rebellion by Israel against the law. God sent them into captivity. When they came out of captivity, they said, we don't want to go back into captivity again, so we need to make sure we don't break the law. So they started building a fence around the law. Like One example, fourth commandment of the Big Ten is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Don't work on the Sabbath. That's the basic idea. Then the rabbis, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees asked the question well, what does it mean not to work on the Sabbath? And they came up with tens of thousands of laws of what it just means not to work on the Sabbath. Thousands of laws to not break one law. Modern day Israel, you go there today. And you're on Sabbath, which is Friday night, sundown, to Saturday night, sundown. And you're in a hotel, and there's an elevator with a sign that has Hebrew written on it, and you have no idea what it means. And you've come to find out that that elevator door opens and closes on every floor. It just starts at floor one, goes up to the top, works it way back down, it opens and closes on every floor. The buttons do not work. In fact, if you push a button, it sounds an alarm. Ask me how I know. And people ask, why is that? Because the rabbis have determined that pushing a button on an elevator on Sabbath is work. We don't work on the Sabbath. And so therefore, that's how they do it. That's just one law of thousands. And Nicodemus spent his life obeying the tens of thousands of rules they had created so they didn't get anywhere close to breaking the law they would take their spices and they'd make sure they gave 10% of their spices. Can you imagine counting out spice flakes and giving your tithe? They were that serious about it. If humanity could keep enough rules to be right with God and find the life that we long to have, the Nicodemus would have found it a long time ago. But Jesus says, no, you can't find it that way. No, you've got to become part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God requires not merely a modification of our behavior. We don't just get a little better, stop a few things, and start a few things. It requires a change of our essence. We must be born again. To be born again, we must believe. To believe in the Bible is not what Americans mean by believe. We think if I agree with a fact, two plus two equals four. I believe that. If we agree with a fact, then then we think we have believed. But in the Bible, words like believe and faith and trust and surrender are all synonymous. To believe is to trust. It is to follow with my whole being. Believe is to surrender to the king of the kingdom. And when we believe, when we give Jesus our lives, what Jesus does is he takes that old person and he puts him or her to death. That is the message of baptism. Whenever we do baptism services, they are sweet. And I get people asking me all the time, I so say, why, why, why do y'all do that? I mean, it is a little strange to like take a bath in public, is it not? It's like you're doing a little quick swim thing, but you're not, what in the world does that mean? I said, well, people are sinful. Oh, so people are sinful, they've changed their life, and it's like they've taken a bath and they got cleansed. I said, no, it's like a cemetery. My old man, my old person, All the garbage, all the stuff I've done, Jesus takes and puts him to death. But just as Jesus was raised. To life on the third day, he takes that old man and he raises him up to be a new man in Christ Jesus. And I can walk in the abundance that he has for you and I. It's why Jesus says in verse 5: Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is not saying baptism saves us, baptism is an act of confession. And when we embrace Jesus as our king, we trust him, follow him, and we, we say to the world, I am his follower, born of the water and spirit. We enter the kingdom of God. You see, by surrender to Jesus, hear this, the essence of who I am is changed. And then this amazing thing happens. We are born again so we can mature into abundant life. I have four grandkids. And despite what all you other Yahoo grandparents are thinking right now, my four are the cutest, most handsome, most beautiful, and smartest on all of planet Earth. I've traveled everywhere. I've looked. Mine are that. The oldest entered into school this last week. You know how the story goes. You have these milestone moments, and you think, it was just yesterday. I was holding her in my arms. Our first grandchild, She's said, little bee, baby. And now she's this. And I I know how it goes. Snap of the finger, she's in kindergarten. Another snap, she's going to be graduating high school. Another snap, I'm going to be running boys off again. Snap, snap. I'm going to be doing her wedding. I'm going to be a great granddad. Life moves fast because she's doing exactly what she's supposed to do. It's the way she was designed. She is maturing. She is growing up. But hear this. She is growing up to who she already is. When I held her in my arms as a baby, she was just as human as I. I'm going to be real radical. Go back nine months before she was born to that moment of conception. At that moment of conception, she was just as human as I. Yet. Yet. She has to mature and grow up into everything she already is. When you are born again by the Spirit, we have to mature. We have to grow up into who we already are. The moment we surrender to Jesus, we are as Christian as we can ever be. But we spend the remainder of our lives growing up into what we are. The difference between someone who is born physically and someone who's born again spiritually is that when you're born physically, you can't help but grow up. It happens. But we have to participate with our maturation when it comes to being born again. We spend the entirety of the rest of our lives choosing to partner with Jesus, to grow up, to be who we already are in Jesus. And the more we mature, listen to me, the more abundance we find. And many of us are living far under the amount of abundance Jesus has in our lives because we're not partnering with him in the maturing process. I'll give you one example. The scripture makes this radical claim. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. You house the spirit of God when you are his follower. That through that spirit we might understand the things freely given to us by God. We have the mind of Christ. Let that sink in. When you, when I were born again, Jesus gave us his brain. He gave us his thoughts. Listen to me. Jesus' mind right now is not anxious. Jesus' brain is not depressed. Despite what's going on in the world right now, listen to me. The mind of Christ is not overwhelmed. There's nothing unhealthy about Jesus' mind. The mind of Christ is the epitome and the essence of all that is health. But I'll be a bit raw with you. My mind still tends towards anxiety, I easily get depressed. With all that's happening in our world right now. We have fellow believers in Afghanistan right now that we're working to try to get out. I don't even know the details. All I do is funnel money to try to get them out. You've got that. You've got the fourth or fifth or third or second or sixth wave of COVID, whatever it is. My mind gets overwhelmed pretty easy. You know what that tells me? I have some maturing to do. The mind of Jesus is not overwhelmed. My mind is overwhelmed. Therefore, I have to mature into what I already have. We have the mind of Christ. I know you understand what I'm talking about. That is why we're going on a journey in a couple weeks that I implore all of you to be a part of. It's just called Flip the Script. We want to win the war for mental health. Hear me. The more we take on the mind of Christ and mature into it, the more abundance you and I are going to walk into. The more we take on the mind of Christ, not only are we going to think like Jesus thinks, but we're actually going to feel more like Jesus feels because our feelings and our thoughts are more intricately woven than we realize See, I don't know of anything we could be doing in this season that is more pertinent, that is more relevant, that will lead to more abundance in our lives than the battle in this area called the mind. So I'm challenging all of us. Listen to me. If you're online, if you're at the North Campus, I know we have a lot of new college kids. Awesome. Join us for six weeks. And then after that, decide what church you're going to go to. You may not plant at Beltway Park. That is okay. You plant in a church. There's a lot of great churches in this community. You planted one, but I'm imploring you for six weeks. We need this. I want us to do four things for six weeks. How many things? How many? For how long? Six weeks. It's all. And it's not every moment of the six weeks, just part of it. Like, I want you to participate in every worship service. I know some of you are thinking, you want me to go to church for six straight weeks? Yes! You've got options. We have a thing called Plus Thursday. It's the first service of the weekend on Thursday night. It leads off the weekend. If you work on the weekends, if you're going to be gone on the weekends, come to Plus Thursday. We have five services. You can get up early. You can sleep in. It matters. You have options. And if you miss all those for some reason, we have live online on Sunday morning. We have on demand. You can make all six services. Number two, participate in a small group. We do things better in community. We're designed together. I'm gonna to tell you my age right now. I know some of you are thinking you're on a big screen, dude. We can all see your age. I understand that. But I'm gonna show you my age. I can remember when there was a country artist named Tom T. Hall. Some of you are going, who? Google him later. He was a big name. Way back. And he sang a song. It sounded so great. Just me and Jesus. We got a good thing going. Just me and Jesus, we got it all worked out. It was an awesome sounded song. I just don't need anybody else but Jesus. It sounds great. The problem is it contradicts about half of the New Testament. It's a lie. I estimate that 90% of what Jesus wants to do in your life, he'll do through another one of his followers. And so if you're not in community with other followers, I tell you, you're missing out of 90% of what God wants to do in your life. I want you to be part of a small group. If you've been a part of one and you kind of fell off, get back in that. If you know some people in a group, just invite yourself to that group. It's great. You can go to their group. I'll let you in, okay? If you want to tonight... We're going to have a big party at the Abilene Zoo. You can come and you can find a group at that party. Our team will be there to help you. We'll have many leaders that are there. If you're already part of a group, you just want to come to the zoo. Awesome. We'd love to have you. Big thing going on. It's just going to be a big shindig. We want everyone to show up. Number three, I want you to read a book. It is called Winning the War for Your Mind. It's this one. Some of you don't want me to show it this way. You want me to show it this way. And you're going, is it a big book? Not really. You're thinking, it looks big to me. Does it have many pictures? No! It's a big boy book, big girl book. We're gonna read a whole book. We're gonna break it up over six weeks. So it's not gonna take much of your very productive social media time to be able to do that. And yes, that is sarcasm. If you need to, get a book. You can get it in our four years. At both campuses, we recommend $10. That's what it cost us. It's hardback for $10. You can't beat that, okay? If 10 Bones is a struggle, and I've had many seasons in my life where 10 Bones was a struggle, you get a book anyway. Because what's going to happen is we're going to have a lot of people who just give extra money so that everybody can have a book. We want everybody, every family to have a book or two. You get one of those and such. And if you're uh, online, you can contact us. We can get you one of these, or you can do this radical thing. You may have heard of it called Amazon, and they have these books as well. You can get from there. Number four, invite a friend. Invite a friend. In fact, we're going to make it easy for you to invite a friend. When you get a book, we're going to give you a coupon for a free book. You invite one of your friends. Here's the only rule. They cannot go to another church. Okay. If they're actively a part of another church, do not invite them to our church. We do not have room for them. Okay. There's a lot of people in our community who need what we have. You invite one of them to join you. They'll bring that coupon. We'll give them absolutely a free book. We want them to participate. We want to share that hope. You invite somebody to join in with you. Listen to me. Jesus implores us not to be satisfied with anything less than what he died for us to have. Are we willing to have that kind of holy discontent? I want it all. Because I believe the more I walk in the totality of what Jesus died for me to have, the more I will bring glory and honor to his name. And I want his name to be magnified and known to our world. Let us be a people who are not only born again, but let us actively participate in our maturing so that through the abundance of our lives we give glory to our God. Let's bow our heads. Come on, both campuses right now. online if you're doing anything but driving you can go to a place of prayer even if you're driving you can pray i do it a lot just keep your eyes open and ask god for grace to believe in his heart the biggest thing that keeps most people from diving all in with jesus is we don't trust his heart we don't trust that he is radically for us it's interesting We run across Nicodemus later on. Two guys took the body of Jesus and buried it Joseph of Arimathea, his tomb, but it was Nicodemus who went and asked for it. I don't know where Nicodemus said yes, but I think somewhere along the way he said yes. He was born again, he saw the heart of the Father. Would you ask him to believe it? Would you ask for grace? Say, Jesus, I just want to mature. I want to grow up. I want to be everything you designed me to be. And maybe you've not been born again. You've never said yes. To trust your life to Jesus. Just do it now. doesn't matter how you pray it. You just pray it. Say, Jesus, I trust my life to you. I give you my life so I can receive your life. And then after the service, you come talk to one of our prayer partners. Father, we love you. Let us be a people who are overwhelmed with the height, the width, the breadth, and the depth of your love that is for us that we see in Christ Jesus. We want to be filled to all the measure of the fullness of Messiah to know all your goodness. Let us believe in the depths of your heart for us so that we will walk into maturity, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, South Campus. Come on. It was good to be in God's house this morning, amen? Amen. Oh, that was terrible. It was good to be here today, Amen. amen? Man, our Jesus is incredible. The reason we gather is that we spur one another on to love Jesus more and to live lives of goodness for his sake. And so, man, thank you for doing that this day. I look forward to the journey in the days to come. If you need prayer for anything, I invite you to come down and receive prayer. Our prayer partners are on the way here to provide for that. Let me tell you some specifics. If you're experiencing chest pain, we want to pray for you. Um, this week, someone has said the phrase not again. I don't know what it was about, but not again could have been some cycle, negative cycle. We want to pray against that. Got the name Sybil. We felt like your voice has been silenced in some arena. We want to pray for you. Someone with wrist or hand pain. We want to pray healing. Someone had an awesome encounter with God, and they know you're different, but life is still a struggle. Welcome to Reality. But you don't know what to do because probably thought that when my encounter with God, life was going to get easy. It doesn't. It just gets better. Um, someone waking up with nightmares or anxiousness about life. Picture of someone searching frantically in the bottom of their closet for something. I don't know if that's literal or it's just an image that um, um, somehow resonates with you. The phrase melanoma came. I don't know if you're wrestling with melanoma, concerned about it, have a loved one with it. We want to pray healing in that. So if you will, after we dismiss here, um, you can come and get prayer. There will still be plenty of time to get books and things like that as well. So let's put our hands out in front of us. Let's receive the blessings of the Lord as we go today. God, I pray that you would give us power, all of us as saints, to be able to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is your love and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of Christ. May you bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Turn your countenance towards us and give us peace, we ask. In the name of Jesus the Messiah, Prince of Peace, and the people of God said amen Amen and amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you back here next week. Tonight at the zoo, books are in both four years. God bless.